You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gcceugene.org. If you would, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew. We're continuing our series this morning titled, Live, as we work through the Sermon on the Mount. Today we're going to be Uh, And for those of you guys that haven't been here to join us, we're working through the Beatitudes and we're working through them one Beatitude at a time. And so we've done blessed are the poor in spirit, verse four or three, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful. And today, verse eight, we're going to look at blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. The reason we've titled the series live is because as a pastor, and I'll speak on behalf of the pastors of our church. We want our people to live, to fully live, to be alive, to flourish. And we believe that if we're going to understand what it looks like to fully live and be alive and flourish as humans, we need to look to the creator of humanity, God himself, who came in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we literally have in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest preacher of all times, giving a sermon to humanity about humanity and in regard to how we can best flourish and how we can best live. And so that's where we land this morning. God has stepped into humanity. He has stepped into the creation he's created through the person of Jesus Christ. And he's delivering this sermon and he's telling us this is how life is best lived. And if you look at the structure, this is very purposeful. It's very intentional. So let's look at this real quick. Okay. If you look at verse three, It starts off with this, blessed are the poor in spirit for for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So culturally, when people start off, oftentimes telling you something, they might tell you, here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to fix your life. Here's the 10 steps that you can follow, right? That's not how Jesus starts off his sermon. He starts off first saying, you're spiritually bankrupt. You're helpless, you're incapable. That's how he starts off. That's not super popular, but he, he starts off letting you know like, hey, you can't do this. You see, we preach the, the gospel every week and the gospel means good news, but the good news is only really good news. It's the greatest news ever. If you understand there's really bad news. The bad news is this verse, verse three, that we are incapable of saving ourselves and reconciling ourselves into a right relationship with God. That's our starting spot. Then he goes on to blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. So bankrupt can't save yourself. Now I'm mourning over seeing the state of my spiritual heart. It's broken. Right? And then he goes, blessed are the meek. Because guess what happens when you realize you can't save yourself. When you start to grasp how sick your heart is, how broken it is, a posture isn't one of being pretentious or arrogant or something like that. The posture from that, that flows from that is meekness. Now, I think we have at Right here in this next verse, verse six, kind of the, the punchline, the center right here. So you can't save yourself. You're, you're, you're mourning over the state of your sin. Meekness is produced by that. But then where do you turn? You can turn to maybe three steps. Try this, do this, be, be the best person you can be, something like that. Or you can turn to this, to the sermon giver himself. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When we see that we can't save, save ourselves, It means we're longing for something. We go, we need a savior. We need righteousness that exists outside of ourselves. Who do we look to? Jesus, the one who's given the sermon. So I I think this is kind of like, just like the pinnacle right here. Where are you going to turn when you realize you can't save yourself? We need a righteousness that exists outside of the human heart since all humans are broken. 
So Jesus is pointing to himself. Then you see what flows from this. Look here, verse seven. When you realize you can't save yourself, you're mourning the state of your sin, and that Christ has saved you, mercy flows from that, right? Because when you realize the depth of mercy you've been given, then you give mercy, okay? Then what also can flow from that is a pure heart. You understand the purity you've been given, and you want to walk in light with that purity. And then peacemakers flow from that. Because as you are being made meek by Christ, peace flows from that. And so there's a purposeful structure that Matthew is given And there's a purposeful structure that ultimately Jesus gave when he preached this sermon. So that's where we're at. It's not, here's what you need to do. Make your life better. These steps, it's, you can't save yourself. Look to Christ. Only he can save you. Now here's how you live in light of that. So today's main point is going to be this. Security and purity. Okay? Security and purity. I'm I'm going to say this. I know the word purity is is a sensitive subject. Know my audience. And it's for this reason. Some people don't feel that their actions lend to purity. There's other people that feel like the actions that have been done to them make them impure. And so we are going to look at those things today, tackle those things today, address those things today. But what I want us to see is that we have, as Christians, security in purity. Okay? But hang in there with me, because that might cause some anxiety for some of you guys. So just hang in there with me so we can actually see what is meant by that. Okay? And I want to give you guys the structure where we're going today as well. So that's our main point, security and purity. First, the problem, okay? The problem. The heart is the problem and what we're getting in bed with. That's the problem. We are going to deeply personalize sin today because we believe that sin is personal. Next, the solution. What is the solution? That we recognize and we receive. Third, the how. What do we do? We fix our gaze. We fix our gaze, okay? So security and purity, we're going to look at the problem, the solution, and the how. Join me as I pray. Father, thank you for your word, because it's truth. We thank you that you stepped in, Jesus, and you didn't leave us in the state of our incapability, that you didn't leave us in the state of our spiritual bankruptness, but instead you came in to give us what we cannot give ourselves, rescue. You redeemed us, and you did this because you lived the life that we were incapable of living. You were pure and flawless and blameless in every action, in every way, and through faith in you, by the grace of God, we, are, we have been made to that. Today, let us know and understand that we have a purity that exists outside of ourselves. Today, speak to us. Today, heal the ones in the room right now that are already wrestling with this concept of purity. That fill impure. I pray that we would see what you provide, the security that you give, Jesus. And I pray our hearts would just be melted that our hearts would be gripped, that we would grasp and understand your grace, that we'd be transformed this morning. Holy Spirit, we recognize we need you. Heal us this morning. I need you this morning. Speak through me. Where our hearts are hard and soften them. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I believe everyone in our culture is looking for a sense of security in, in, in some way. That that's something normal that's within us. I remember as a young guy, always being small, most of my life, I I wanted security and I thought security would be found in trying to get bigger, right? Security would be found in in learning martial arts. I was trying everything I could to make my insecure self feel more secure. You guys, some of you won't be very impressed with this, but in in the Reeves house, uh, we get our, uh, this first part you might be, 
We get our kids to bed around 6.30 or 7, okay? We, yeah. Did someone say amen? Or I don't know what's... That's, yeah, impressive. Okay, all right. So that's what time our kids go to bed. And we like to have that time afterward that we can spend together. Sometimes we don't spend the time together, okay? I like a good book with a good cigar, okay? And sometimes I go out back and that's what I do. And my wife likes some of her TV shows, okay? And so sometimes she chooses to watch those, all right? And then after our little time together, uh, our part, then we come back together. I just feel like I need to say that. Uh, we do spend time together. <laughs> so that's sometimes in an evening in the Reeves household. Well, the other evening I came in and she was watching her show and it was called uh, Joe Millionaire, okay? I saw some ladies like turn their husbands. Uh, you obviously know what it's about. I've watched that with my wife. I've also watched a show called Bachelor or Bachelorette with my wife, okay? Why? Because I'm a sacrificial husband, that's why. <laughs> and the other truth, it makes me feel really good about myself. <laughs> yeah. So what, I, what I've noticed is that all of these men and women in these shows, I, I told my wife, I was like, I can't do it anymore, it just gives me anxiety, like I got enough stuff going on. But what you notice in this show and in these shows, for men and women, there's no security in these relationships. There's not going to be security when you don't know if this person's committed to you, if this person's committed to you, who's committed to who, and it seems like everyone's dating everyone. It's just, it's a, it's a big mess. There's no security in that. Our security comes from devotion. Our security comes from knowing that there's one person who's committed to us that never walks away from us, that will never abandon us, that will never reject us, that, that, that his love is pure, and the only person that can provide that type of security is Christ. Now, as we open the word today, we're going to be looking at this, that there's security and purity. Verse eight says this, blessed, which we can translate, flourishing, alive, fortunate, happy are the pure in heart, pure in heart, for they shall see God. The first problem is this, is the tragedy oftentimes in our culture, is that people don't look to the heart. And we don't address the heart. So the first problem is the heart and a sinful heart, an addicted heart, a heart that gets in bed with sin. And what I mean by this is that Jesus is always, 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 always preaching and teaching to the heart. He's not just preaching to the head. He's not just preaching a set of rules. He's talking and getting to the heart because he knows that the core of our being is a heart that is prone to worship and to addictions and to all of those things. So he's trying to get to the heart because there's many people that just have the external down really well. And we see later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew uh, chapter seven, there's, this, there's these people that stand before God and they have the audacity to tell God in a sense why they should be led into the kingdom of God. And they said, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do this in your name? Did we not do these, in a sense, mighty religious works in your name? And the scariest words that someone could ever hear were told from Christ. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. It is possible to have all the rules down, to do all the external actions, but have a heart that is dead. That should scare us. To some degree, that, that should make us go, whoa. And here's the thing. When we preach as preachers, we're not just preaching to actions. We're not just preaching to the intellect because Jesus was trying to get to the heart. So we're trying to preach to the heart because the heart is where the problem is. The great human tragedy is what I'm saying is that our culture wants to address everything else. 
Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the pure in, in systems, blessed are the pure in strategies, blessed are the pure in actions. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Our world wants to start with something else out there because then what we can do is we can figure out how to basically uh, maneuver this, manipulate this, fix this, and then we can be the heroes to the solution. But the greatest problem that humans have is a heart problem. That our hearts are broken, our hearts are sick, as the prophet Jeremiah says. They're deceitful. And we don't like that because we want to think of ourselves as just pretty good people. And then if there's something else wrong out there, then we can go after it and fix it and then show the way that we can be the answer to the human problems. That's not what the Bible says. We have to start with an accurate reflection of what the heart is, is that when you live in rebellion against God, when you, I mean, you can even try this for a day, but if, if the law is summarizing this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbors yourself. Try that for a day. You wake up in the morning, the first thing you think about is loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not your cup of coffee. And then you're thinking, my, my neighbors maybe don't have a cup of coffee. Wonder if they have one, right? That's, that's just not how, we, that's not how we think. As soon as we realize that, we start to realize, yeah, my heart is very selfish. It is sick. So that's the problem is that our hearts are sick. But the other problem and the other side of this is that they're addicted and we get in bed with sin. Look, scripture talks about this. And I believe that sometimes we, we become more prude than the way scripture talks. But look at what the prophet Jeremiah says. This is talking about Israel in Jeremiah 2.20. Long ago, you broke off your yoke and tore off your bonds. You said, I will not serve you. Indeed, on every high hill and under every spreading tree, you lay down as a prostitute. Talking to the nation of Israel. Ezekiel 16, 25 says this. At every street corner, you built your lofty shrines and degraded your beauty, spreading your legs with increasing promiscuity to anyone who passed by. You see, scripture personalizes sin because sin is very personal. Ask someone who's been sinned against, and they will tell you there's a very personal side to it. When we sin, what we do is we actually take our hearts that are worshiping hearts that, that, that are prone to addictions, and we get in bed with the sin that we're choosing. And if we approach sin that way, then what we do is, is when we look at a text like Blessed of the Pure in Heart, we understand that there's something deeply personal to what Jesus is talking about and what it is to be pure in heart. It's very complex as we start to look at the human heart because there's lots of things that are going on underneath the human heart. Let me give you some examples. If, if, if we say, hey, um, just to basically understand the addiction thing. If we say, hey, it seems like you're addicted to alcohol. Stop drinking alcohol, right? Someone stops drinking alcohol. The problem with that is, is the person that's drinking alcohol might actually be not just be addicted to alcohol, but they're addicted to something that the alcohol produces, which is the idol of comfort or pleasure. And so we can stop the drinking, but then that same sin might come up somewhere else now. And maybe it's eating in excess. Maybe it's working in excess. Maybe it's doing something else that provides the comfort that you need. And so we have to get to what we are addicted to. Alcohol might be part of the surface problem, but there's a deeper problem that's going on there that we're idol worshipers and then we're addicted to things and we're addicted to comfort. Our hearts are complex. And so just to say, stop doing that won't work because then you'll just start worshiping something else and it'll come out in another area of your life. 
How do we recognize these things that we're getting into bed with? Here's a couple statements that can help. I can't live without fill in the blank. I can't live without fill in the blank. I, I like what one pastor says. You don't have to tell who's the alcoholic in the group when everyone's got drinks at the table. You tell who the alcoholic is when you take a drink, when you take the drinks away from the table, right? I remember when I lived in Reno, you guys don't know him, probably never will, so I'll just say his name. My, my, my teammate's name was Koa, okay? Koa's Hawaiian, Hawaiians are scrappy, they love to fight, okay? Koa will tell you that. So <clears throat> we were out one night and uh, he, was, he just had joined my small group as well, okay? And he was having quite a few drinks. And so I knew, and I believe oftentimes the safest place that you can express that freedom is in the context of community because I was like, I think Koa's pushing this too far. So I was like, I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna walk over to him and I'm gonna take his drink away and I'm gonna walk away with it and I'm gonna pour it out, which means I might have a fight on my hands, <laughs> okay? So Koa's also a professional MMA fighter. And so just, so it's a double whammy, okay? So I walk over, I grab Koa's drink, Koa gives me a stare, I walk away with the drink, I pour the drink out. And I drive him home that night. And then the next morning he's like, just so you know, it's a good thing I respect you because I wanted to kill you. And, uh, and he was like, but I'm also thankful for you for doing that. Again, you can see what comes out when we remove stuff from people's life. But also, the statement, I can't live without, I can't live with this. I, I, I couldn't live with myself if I put on this kind of weight. I couldn't live with myself if I had to go through this. I couldn't live with these types of conditions. Those are also ways that we can see what our hearts are addicted to, what we're getting in bed with. Here's a few more to, 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 to understand how there's these surface things that are actually pointing to the deeper addictions of our complex hearts. Gossip. Why do we gossip? Because we're addicted. What are we addicted to? Our image and the approval that we get from other people. If I can bring them down, it only, it only puts me up, right? Success. Success is something we're addicted to because underneath that, we're addicted to power and success gives me power. Jealousy. I'm addicted to the security that someone else gives me through their approval. That's why I'm jealous. And that's why it comes out. Here's, here's a big one though. Some people are addicted to your self-righteousness, your good morals, your good efforts, your good behavior. That's why when you miss the mark or fall short, it wrecks you and you're ridden with guilt because it's just the same. It might look prettier, but you're getting in bed thinking that your own efforts and, and moral performance is the thing that is saving you. I'm a good husband. I provide. I'm a good wife. I take care of the children. Whatever it is, we can be addicted to these things. And so the problem is, is when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, we have to explore the heart and go, whoa, the heart is addicted and our hearts are sinful. And sin is very personal because it's saying, it, it's saying, I'm going to get in bed with this thing. I'm going to give myself to this thing, which makes it very personal. What's our solution? Where do we go from here? Again, we can go to a step-by-step -step process but you need to know this. Here's where I would start. Again, I know my audience. I've worked through and walked through a lot of pain with a lot of people in the church. So I know the illustrations I'm getting ready to use are gonna be painful and difficult. Hang in there with me. You have to know and understand that sin is more than breaking God's law. It is that, 
But it's more than that. It's breaking God's heart. It's breaking the heart of Christ. If you've ever been cheated on, you know that in that moment, the first thing you think about is not, we sign legal documents. You think, my heart is hurt. It's broken. It's grieving. There's pain. Because sin hurts. When we get in bed with things, when we worship things, the things we are addicted to, it's not that we're just breaking God's good, moral, and righteous, holy law. It's that we're breaking the heart of God. In the same way, when someone sins against us, it's not just a legal action that's taking place. It's hurtful. We need to start there. Because if you think you're just going to come into someone's life and say, obey God's law, you're breaking God's law, you're breaking God's law without first recognizing our sin has the implications of breaking the heart of Christ. But even that, is not going to motivate you. It's not enough solution to go, there you go, you're because then you go, man, I just feel guilty about that. I feel shame about that. And maybe people in this room are feeling that way right now. And so what do we need? First, we need to recognize, as I said, but we also need to receive. What do we need to receive? We need to receive the free gospel of God's grace. That's what we need. And here's what I mean. We have some verses that are gonna come up. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. This is describing Jesus Christ. Look at what 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not been, this is hard to read, has not yet been made known. There we go. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Look, all who have this hope in him, not in ourselves, not in our actions, not in the things we do or don't do. All who have this hope in Christ purify themselves just as he is pure. Think about that. When you place your faith, trust, and hope in Jesus Christ, you become pure just as he is pure. You don't get a subpar version of the purity of Christ. As pure and as holy as Jesus Christ is, he makes you that. Look at 1 Corinthians 130, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, where does it come from? Christ is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. 1 Corinthians 6.11, one of my favorites. Paul goes, he, he was describing here, look, this is, such were some of you. This is who you were, but that's not who you are anymore. Look at what he says. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God. Listen. Jesus Christ lived a perfectly pure life. From the beginning of his life to the end of his life, he walked in purity, pure, pure motives, pure affection for the Father, pure in his conversations with other people, pure against gossip and slander. Jesus Christ, the God-man, was completely and utterly pure. And he didn't just walk that purity into the grave because if Jesus Christ just walked his purity into the grave, we would still be doomed. Instead, Jesus Christ walked all of the purity that he had lived out up a hill. And then what he did there is, is, is he made a sacrifice on an, on an altar. The altar was the cross. And what he sacrificed was his complete and total life. He, he laid it down, made the payment and said, God, in a sense, I give you my full life of complete purity. And now what I will do is I will take the payment for humanity's lack of purity. You see, then what he does 
is he says, now I will take what belongs to me through faith and give that to them. So literally the holiness and the purity and the blamelessness of Christ belongs to you. It, you, you, you own it. It's yours through faith in him. And then what he took, then, then what he does is he takes the stuff that wants to find you, your sin, your impurities and all that stuff. And he's like, I'm going to take this, the place that belongs, the grave. I'm going to bury it there. I'm going to leave it there. Walks out victorious and says, now what defines you is this, my purity, my perfection, my blamelessness. He could not bypass the cross because the cross is where he has to deal with our impurities and give us his purity. Are you, are you, guys, are you guys with me? Okay. When God looks at you, he doesn't see the vile things that have been done to you. He also doesn't see the vile things that you have done. Literally, when God looks at you, he sees his very own holiness, his very own purity, his very own righteousness. Because in order for you to enter God's presence, you have to have the same holiness that God has because he's holy. And so he doesn't make you semi-holy or subpar holy. Literally, in Christ, you are made just as holy and pure as, as God himself. That's why our security does not come from our purity. Our security comes from Christ's purity that he gives to us. You have to hear that because we can recognize and realize that our actions have not been pure. Christ pays for those and he gives us his actions that were completely pure. And that's what belongs to us. That's how God sees you. That's how God deals with you. Sin is a cruel lover. It, it, it's a cruel lover. This is what sin is. It's getting in bed with something that won't love you in return. It'll damage you. It'll damage your relationships. It'll take joy from your life because as a child of God, you will have to be restless to be in bed with something you do not belong to be in bed with. So it's, it's going to overpromise and underdeliver. It's not going to love you. And that's, that's why we do it. That's why we run after it because it's appealing because we're longing to be loved and give ourselves to something. Only Christ is the one that can love us with the satisfaction that our souls need to be loved with, period. We have security in the purity that Christ provides. But here's what we also have. We have security in the purity of his love, okay? We have security in the purity of Christ's love. Here, here, here's what I mean. I have to pull from the resources I have available to me as a father of three kids, two of which are girls, okay? So um, Tangled and Rapunzel and Gothel, okay? Gothel is Rapunzel's mom, and she's not a good mom. She's an evil person, Okay? If you haven't seen the movie, shame on you. <laughs> it's old. <laughs> it's been out for a while, okay? Why does Gothel love Rapunzel? Because Rapunzel provides something for her. That's not love. That's selfishness. If you love someone because of what they provide for you, because of the way they make you feel, because they need something from you, they want you, they give you worth, that's selfishness. You're actually loving the way you feel more than you're loving the other person, right? So even our love, if we want to be really honest and really get honest that our love that we give to others oftentimes isn't as pure as we like to think it is. It's twisted. It's tainted with different motives. Jesus is the only one in human history who has a non-codependent love that he offers, meaning this that he's never needing something from you. He's never needing something that you can provide for him, something that you can satisfy him. He doesn't need you to need him or give him worth or anything like that. He loves you because he loves you, because he's made the decision and the choice to do that. His love is tethered and connected, and it's secure because of his devotion to you, not because of your devotion to him. 
We do not have security in the purity of our love. We have security every second, every moment of every day in the purity of Christ's love that's for us. If we look at our love, we're like, "Uh uh-oh. But if we look at the love of Christ, it doesn't look like ours. It's constant. It's steadfast. It's consistent. It's infinite. The men and women that I see on these TV shows, I believe they would have security if they had a sense of devotion. But we need a devotion that runs more rich than the devotion that we have in our marriages. The devotion that will actually satisfy the souls is the devotion that Jesus Christ has for you right now. Regardless of what you've done, what you brought into this room, anything like that, what's been done to you. He's devoted, he's committed. He heals, he cleanses, he washes, he purifies. You have security in the purity, and I need you to hear that. Because sometimes our hearts just have just a natural hardness, and like we think, no, no, no. Take God at his word, please. You have security in the purity of Christ and his love for you. Now, how do we grow? Blessed are the pure in heart. We know that Christ makes us pure in heart. That's how God sees us. It says, for they shall see God. How do we see God? How do we grow in this process of what we would use a Christian word for? Sanctification. How do we grow in the likeness of Christ? That's the question, right? This is where we get to the rules, right? Here's what what I'll say. I'm getting ready to heavily quote a book called Deeper, written by Dane Ortland. Okay? Highly recommend it. The whole book is, is on the concept of how we actually grow in the likeness of Christ. There's other books like it. But listen to what he says. I'm going to read through some of these quotes. This actually comes from the one chapter called uh, Acquittal. Okay, so read, read with me. One of the great mistakes made generation after generation through church history is to slather rules onto our behavior and think that external behavior is what fosters or even accurately reflects vital spiritual growth. The commands of the Bible are the steering wheel, not the engine to your growth. They are vitally instructed, but they do not themselves give you the power you need to obey the instruction. Look here. Next, the Bible teaches that healthy spiritual growth takes place when such commands land on those who know they are accepted and safe, irrespective of the degree to which they successfully keep those commands. What's he saying here? The people that actually grow are, are, are the ones that, that know and understand in the depths of their heart that God's love is not contingent and tethered or held secure by their actual growth. So you grow when you know that God's love is not coming along saying, okay, as you grow, my love's increasing. But when you look the way you do now at 40 and, and from how you look at 60, God's love will have remained the same all the way through. It's not tethered to your spiritual growth. And he's like, it's that kind of heart that actually is able to grow. So how do we grow? Here we go. Look at what Thomas Chalmers says. I, I love this. He, he, was, he was the chair of philosophy for St. Andrews. And then later on, uh, he was a professor at Edinburgh. Brilliant guy. Look at what he says. Scottish pastor. The freer the gospel, the more sanctifying the gospel. The freer the gospel, the more sanctifying the gospel. And the more it is received as a doctrine of grace, the more it will be felt as a doctrine according to godliness. G.C. Burkauer says this. Justification is not a spark plug that ignites the Christian life, but an engine that powers it all along the way. What is justification? That you've been legally declared righteous, holy, and pure before God. He's like, look, that ignites it, but it powers it all the way through. I love the honesty 
of Tim Keller, who admitted later on in his life that he had spent much of his ministry without preaching the gospel, without being centered on the gospel, without even understanding what gospel centrality means. But I love the, the honesty of C.S. Lewis and Francis Schaeffer, who also came to the same conclusion later on in their life. Francis Schaeffer said this, I had heard little about what the Bible says about the meaning of the finished work of Christ for our present lives. Think about that. This is later on in his life. I become a Christian once for all on the basis of the finished work of Christ through faith. That is justification. But the Christian life sanctification operates on the same basis, moment by moment. That means moment by moment, you are saved by the fact that you have been justified, that you have been legally declared pure before God. What about mortifying sin? John Owen wrote this. Has anyone ever read, uh, read the mortification of sin? One person. Okay. How long did it take you to read it? <laughs> so you lied. You lied. Okay. <laughs> Ronnie's one of the elders at our church here. I'm not publicly rebuking him for lying. I'm just saying that. <laughs> how, how, how long? Okay. All right. Most of the time it takes people years to get through the book. Okay. All right. So let's that basically just ruin my whole argument. So <laughs> let me summarize the book for you. In, in fact, this is it. it. It's about killing sin and putting sin to death in our lives. Because he even says, John Owen says, if we're not killing sin, then it's killing us. How do we kill it? By fixing our gaze. You see, when you behold a beautiful sunset, the, the, the sunset captivates you and everything else kind of just dims out in the background. It's the same thing. You can think I'm going to grow into the, the, the holiness of Christ by fixating on my sin and all of these things, but you actually grow to look more like Christ when you behold and gaze at the beauty of Christ, what he's done, what he's provided and what he's given and made yours. It actually produces the growth in you. And you can think about it when you hang around with people that are encouraging people or, or, or that uh, build you up in who you are in Christ, then it has an impact on you. And the more that you spend time beholding the beauty of Christ, the more you start to look like it. So or Orland says this, it'll be the last quote I'll, I'll read. He says, killing sin is a strange battle. I'll read it twice because I, I don't have a slide for this. Killing sin is a strange battle because it happens by looking away from the sin. Okay. Killing sin, strange battle because it happens by looking away from the sin. We feed sin by coddling it pining after it, daydreaming about it, giving vent to it. We suffocate sin by redirecting our gaze to Christ. Let me read the last part. We feed sin by coddling it, pining after it, daydreaming about it, giving vent to it. We suffocate sin by redirecting our gaze to Jesus Christ. You want to grow. I want to grow. Now, how do we see God? That's like the culmination of this. I, every Christian should go, man, I want to see God. And, and here, here's just a, uh, maybe a sign for you that if you don't want to see God or if you were given the opportunity, hey, I, I, I could spend eternity in some like kind of like earth-like place, but there is no Jesus there. Would you be okay with that? Because for me, the number one thing that I want to see, that I want to behold for all eternity and, and the person I want to be with is Jesus Christ. But, but, but God says this in verse eight, look here with me. Blessed are those who are pure in heart for they shall see God. So how do we grow in the likeness of Christ? We fix our gaze. But also, how are we going to see God? Did you know the author of Hebrew says that Jesus Christ was the direct imprint of God himself? The author of Hebrew says he, he, he's, he's, he's the invisible nature of God. So God became flesh. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the father. How has Christ chosen to reveal and, and make himself manifest here on this earth now? 
the local church. When the, when the saints are gathered together, we get a glimpse of God. Think about that with me. When, when the saints are gathered together, we, we, we are the hands and the feet and the arms and the legs of Christ. That's why when we come together, we get a more accurate picture of who Christ is. And then what we get to behold as we come together and worship is we get to behold a little bit, though dimly on this side of the return of Christ, God. That's what, that's why gathering together as saints is so important because we're actually getting to see a reflection, though dim of who God is through the gathered saints, through the body of Christ. That's why not showing up does have implications. Now, let me end with this. You have security through the purity of Christ and his love for you. To that, someone in this frozen chosen of a room could say amen, okay? There we go. I was pining for it. Just here's, here's what we need. We need to live in the context of community. We need to live around other saints that are coming to us and saying, hey, did you know that you have been made pure in Christ? And now you're living in a way that is so inconsistent that there's going to be restlessness to it. In fact, drunkenness is never going to be able to quench your thirst. But you have someone who can now. You see, this sin and impurity living this way is going to make you restless. But resting in and pursuing the purity that you already have that belongs to you in Christ is actually going to produce freedom in your life. Joy. You're going to be happy. And we need our brothers and sisters to come around us and remind us, Christ has made you pure. Now live consistent with that because if you don't, you're going to be restless and you're not going to have joy. We need the, 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 the context of community to do that, to, to remind us of our covering of the purity that we have. What we also need as children of God is we need to take that outside of these walls and build relationships with those that don't have the knowledge of what it is to be pure in heart, what it is to have security through the purity in Christ. We're not called to have a holy bubble. We're called to take that message and take it into the world. Lastly, what we need, we need this. We need the word of God. Because from beginning to end, it tells and conveys one message through and through. Man in and of ourselves are not pure in heart. Christ came to make us just that. We have security through his purity. And this word, I mean, saturates us in that truth. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> thank you for the purity that you've made belong to us through and in your son. We celebrate that now as we take communion. Amen.